Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a very special episode of the Bowery Boys podcast. This is Greg Young. Ten years ago, in June of 2007, Tom and I recorded the very first episode of what would become the Bowery Boys New York City History. To mark that special occasion, we present to you our first ever show recorded in front of a live audience. We recorded this back in April, but given the subject matter as a 10th anniversary celebration, we wanted to wait until now to release it. The show was recorded at the Bell House in the neighborhood of Gowanus, Brooklyn. Yes, literal blocks from the Gowanus Canal. As part of NYC PodFest, a weekend of live podcast performances with other shows like Another Round, Lore, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, How to Be Amazing, Risk, and many others. Now, joining Tom and I on stage as our moderator is comedian, writer, and charming native New Yorker, Nat Towson. I should add that during the show, we did have a little section uh, with images where we go through some of our favorite episodes, and we do describe what those images are. However, there may be a touch of confusion during that part, and for that, we apologize. But right before we went on to record the show, something happened that was so shocking and unexpected that we've waited actually until now to publicize it. It happened right before we went on stage, putting us in a a little bit of a euphoric mood for the taping. To keep you a little bit in suspense, you'll be hearing that pre-show surprise after you hear the entire show. So stay tuned to the very end. It's pretty remarkable. We had a wonderful time putting this together, and we are completely grateful to those who joined us in our sold-out audience that afternoon. So... Without further ado, may I present the Bowery Boys 10th Anniversary Celebration with Nat Towson, recorded live in Brooklyn at the Bell House. Hi, I'm your moderator, Nat Towson. Uh, I'm very happy to be here uh, moderating for one of my favorite podcasts. I personally uh, host a show called Nat Towson's Downtown Variety Hour. It's also, it's focused on New York City history, and I've been lucky enough to have the Bowery Boys as guests on my show uh, I started as a fan of their show a uh, very long time ago, and I've been listening for a long time, so I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, just by a round of applause, uh, how many of you are here specifically are Bowery Boys listeners? And how many of you are here to see me? Filthy liars. All right, good to know this is a deceitful crowd. 
Uh, anyone, uh, any native New Yorkers in the house? Native New Yorker here. Anyone come from very far away for this show? Where'd you come from? Oregon. Oregon. And you came, you came all the way from Oregon just to hear a podcast that's available on the internet? <laughs> well, thanks to everyone who came from near and far. I, without further ado, it's my great honor to welcome back to the stage your surprise guests <laughs> who you've never seen before. The Bowery Boys, Greg Young and Tom Myers. My Lord. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. But, uh, I, I want to give a, a shout out to, of course, the composer of our iconic theme song, who couldn't be here. His name is Garage Band Loop. Yeah. But um, no, people ask all the time, you know, who who composed that? Um, I and I think anybody can actually do you get wanna, in touch with them. Yeah, if you right. want to remix it, someone call Calvin Harris, and they can do a little Bowery <laughs> Boys remix. So let's uh, let's go ahead and situate the audience. Yes. Um, you guys have been uh, podcasting for how long exactly? Well, well, it's almost ten years. We're we're a few weeks early, but this seemed like an appropriate time to. Get the ball rolling. Yes, the first show actually came out in June of 2007. Okay. So, yeah, that was... Um, it's a show that is no longer available. Um, that first episode, yeah, For certain reasons, which we'll get into later. So um, what we're going to do today, Tom... Issues, yeah. No, no, I just want to... I don't mean to cut you off, but just to say, in celebration of your, yes. your 10th anniversary, so today we're going to... We're going to talk a little bit about how you got started as the podcast, we're also going to talk, we're going to go back and look at some of your favorite episodes, some yeah. of your most interesting and exciting. That's anecdotes from different episodes that we found interesting for one reason or another. And uh, we're going to have an opportunity for questions from the audience towards the end. And yeah. we're also going to have a little debate oh, later in the true. show. And we're going to need audi a little audience Ooh. participation for that. Yeah. I'm going to put you two on the spot. Okay. Now, we all approach this situate a little bit differently. So I... Actually, I'm going to situate the place okay. that we're at. Um, I didn't do too much research on this building itself, but I did find out that in the 1950s, there was a dairy that was located right here on this very spot with an unfortunate name of Polio Dairy Company. <laughs> P-O-L-L-I-O. When was this? And they sold like mozzarella and ricotta cheese and everything. Oh, but that was. But more importantly, what you're actually sitting on right now is a Revolutionary War site, a battle site. This is one of the very first battles of the war and the first in uh, New York City, the Battle of Gowanus. Uh, the reason that it's not marked is one of the things that's sort of profound about New York. It changes so quickly that it's not like anyone just stopped and said, quick, let's save this whole area and mark it for a national park service. Right. But, um, and also, if, if you know that story, uh, George Washington and his men fled. It wasn't a, a good victory. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a success. However, as legend has it, if you want to walk down to 9th Street and, and 4th Avenue between 4th and 5th, there's an empty lot. And it is rumored that that is the spot of a mass grave of Revolutionary War soldiers. And in fact, I just read recently that they're actually going to excavate it, mm. dig up to see if there's anything there, of course, before they build a condo. So, <laughs> How kind of them. So Greg has situated the place. We like to situate, for those who have never heard the show before, we usually, at some point at the top of the show, situate the listener. It's gotten to the point where it's a little bit of a cliche for me to say... 
why don't we situate the listener? So he just situated the place, and now we're situ and Nat has situated the topic. We're throwing a party for ourselves, <laughs> um, apparently. So now to situate the medium, the thing, the podcast. So it was 2007 when we started this. Now I brought some props you might notice on this mm -hmm. table. This is a book yeah. called Podcasting for Dummies. I and what, when did date. it come out? Well, I, wrote the, well, I right. bought it in yeah. February of 2007. All right. right there. It came out in 2006. So somewhere like, you know, on chapter two, in chapter two, they talk about the history of the podcast, which had taken place two years before this book came out. <laughs> <laughs> or 2003, you know, there's a whole debate there. But basically what happened is there were developers who were working with ways, do you remember 2003 when you listened to audio online? <laughs> there were, it wasn't a real pleasant experience. You know, there was a lot of buffering that happened, but there were also radio like bars you could download on your browser and things like that. You could listen to radio stations, you could stream them live. So live radio was something, but the concept of downloading radio programs or audio programs that were updated sort of automatically, that came much, you know, that came a few years later. It took a few years, including, um, and it took a lot of work from some developers, including Adam Curry, former MTV VJ. If you might yeah. be anybody like the remember Godfather Adam Curry? of podcasting. Yeah, exactly. And they developed a program called iPodder. iPodder. This was what's called a pod catcher. So all of these terms were invented or coined before the word podcast even came around. So people didn't really talk, they talked about them as audio files that could be downloaded to a pod catcher. And there was a man actually named. Gregoire was his last name. Wow. Yeah. You that was my that nickname video. in college because everyone <laughs> thought I was fancy. <laughs> Danny Gregoire. And he coined it in 2004 on September 15th. He posted to a Yahoo dev chat room. <laughs> you know, I do my out. research. I did print off his message where he's complaining on September 20th, that he had gone away for the weekend and he had come back and seen everybody else using his term. So it's kind of funny. And he said, you know, all of us who are doing podcastering are kind of upset about that. So <laughs> he thought that this would be called podcastering. 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 I can't believe that didn't catch on. <laughs> <laughs> or cast on. Yeah. So you brought us up into the present of 2007. Uh, uh, yes. So it's 2007, uh, you two are, are, are uh, budding podcasters. Why, why New York City history? What drew you to that as the topic for your podcast? So I always had uh, this philosophy when we started that is really outdated. But I'll, st I'll start with that because it was this whole idea that we were all spending so much money in New York City. Like we came here to pursue our dreams or, or whatever it is that we wanted to do in New York. And, uh, but we get lost in what we're doing and the work that we're doing and, and the trudge of our commutes and whatever. And the reason we pay so much to live here is because this city is important. And not just the city, but, you know, individual streets have history contained upon them. So our original goal was... Well, if we can just remind people of this history of the fact that a famous singer lived in their building or a gangster was shot on the sidewalk in front of their workplace or whatever, that, Sharing, yeah. that it, would be, uh, it would soothe the pain of paying 
high rent. <laughs> Interesting theory. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that worked for a while, but the, the, the problem is, is that's kind of what, you know, real estate companies do now, is also they take that history and say, like, oh, Billie Holiday lived in this building. It can be yours for $50 million. Right. right? They appropriate. So it's that's the kind, yeah. So it's a little bit... We found it inappropriate. <laughs> so it's a, we've sort of... New nuance. The first of many puns tonight. I hope. Yeah. Um, I'm working hard. Um, so we've sort of nuanced this to to be more of a sort of a personal journey that we want to tell these stories so that it makes your stroll through New York City all that more rich and valuable. Because the more you listen, the more these kind of little facts get stuck in your head, and it's, it, it, it turns your commute, for instance, into something that can be full of little adventures. Right, like burning blocks of lower Manhattan. <laughs> um, <laughs> the draft we'll riot, sure. I mean, not every story is a positive no, but, one. No, but. but Greg had, yeah, the sort of like philosophy, this complicated economic philosophy behind it. I, I just looked out the window and saw Canal Street, and Greg and I knew we wanted to do a show. So... Back to the prop. I, I, I bought this book in February of 2007, and our first sh show came out in June of 2007. So there were a couple months here where, you know, we're reading about how to make a show. We didn't really know what it would be about. We, we talked about making it about, you know, um, little things, sort of like the FYI column, you know, that was in the metro section, still is, I think, yeah, about where people could write in with questions about, you know, why does this happen in New York, and why is this on the manhole covers, and things like that. So we were going to write our own questions, pretend that we had listeners, and answer them. <laughs> and, but we, did, we got to the first episode. We learned how to, like, make a program because of another prop ad here. Um, but we looked out the window, and I lived at Essex and Canal in the Lower East Side, and we saw Canal Street. And we had both been living at that point in the, in the Lower East Side. That was 2007. So we, I moved uh, to Essex and Canal in 97, and Greg moved to East Broadway, block away in 98. So we had seen also 10 years of the Lower East Side changing. We had seen things happening. You know, the, on Essex Street, the Judaica stores, uh, that when I moved in, stretched really from Canal up to Houston, um, or to Delancey at least. So many of them had boarded up or became, you know, they had become hipster bars around the corner on Hester. Remember, anybody remember Girdle's Bakery that was on Hester? Delicious, delicious place. And that had closed down, was becoming a condominium. And we, we you know, so we, we had some sort of outrage there, and at the same time, looking back, maybe we're a little bit more nuanced in understanding that we were also part of that process. You know, probably people were looking at us like, look at these new kids coming These in clowns <laughs> moving into these, like, classic old buildings. With I know, their dreams of yeah. podcasting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you're a, you're a native New Yorker. That's my old neighbor. I'm actually yeah. from the Bowery. I'm the Bowery boy, actually. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> wow. I, yeah. I'm a, I'm, yeah, I'm from a, a gang from over 100 years ago. No, but I... Uh, <laughs> no, the film group. It was creating this podcast sort of a way of, of feeling connected to the, you know, the, the neighborhood that you were in some ways losing or that things were changing. Like, did it, did it, was it partially a personal journey towards you know, being connected to the city that didn't feel like it was just disappearing? Yeah, I mean, I lived in a, in a rundown um, railroad apartment on East Broadway that felt like it had just been renovated for the first time. Mm -hmm. It was about 100 it and, 
Yeah. <laughs> the plumbing certainly was. I can I can vouch for that. But like it felt so visceral and not I mean well we're going to talk about a few ghosts later. Uh and not that I believe that it was haunted, but I always felt, you know, I was like this apartment has seen some stuff. You know, like I could just sense that the people who had come through this apartment had remarkable stories. And so all of this, I guess, was sort of inspiration for us, you know, developing the show. Yeah. And I don't think we really appreciated uh, the subject when we started, you know, because as I was saying, we needed something to talk about for that first show. So we did just look out the window and say, hey, there's Canal Street. You think there was a canal there? Like, what, what do you think was going on? <laughs> so then we did some yeah. rudimentary research. Um, and about 15 minutes later, hit record and <laughs> talked with great wow. authority on the subject, you know? And would you believe that episode's no longer available? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, we recorded that for about 15 or 20 minutes and didn't really know what to do with it afterwards. I mean, we ended up, you know, uploading it to a server and, and figuring out how that whole process worked. But it wasn't until much later that we realized that we got so lucky in choosing New York as a subject because it is the subject that keeps on going, you know? We've gone back, as some listeners may know, and, and revisited subjects that we've recorded previously. Or it's very hard, it's getting harder and harder to tell a story without referring back, sort of hyperlinking back to previous episodes. It just keeps going. It's the best, it's the best subject that we could have chosen. So you both moved to, uh, you said the Lower East Side in the early 90s. Let's back up a little bit. Tell me a little bit about, uh, say, Greg, how, how, how right, did you end yeah. up here? I mean, that's the, the key. We're not, neither of us are, are born in New York. By the way, of the people in this room, how many of you are born in the New York or the New York City area? Uh, and with applause, yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, who is not born in New York City in the New York City area, if you could applaud? See, isn't that weird? I mean, there's... Um, like, this is a city that has fiercely loyal New Yorkers, and, of course, a lot of people from all over the world who want to be those, like those people. We're actually going to have, um, have a rumble after the show, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we're from far-flung places. Um, I was born in the Ozarks, and so, yeah, I was born there, had a... My grandfather was an evangelist on TV, and I was, and when I was 14, I was the Bible quiz champion of Southwest Missouri. But uh, that's for another podcast and another show. You didn't tell me any of this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I went to college at the University of Missouri Columbia because I wanted to be a journalist, and they had one of the best undergraduate programs. While I was there, um, one of my best friends became uh, this young woman from Ohio. Her name was Elizabeth Myers, and that, of course, would be Tom's sister. Yes. And so, not even um, would be she already. <laughs> <was, yeah. laughs> and so that's how I. And so that's how I met Tom. Right. So I was in high school. I'm far younger um, than Greg, <laughs> but uh, I was in high school at the time. But I'll always be young. <laughs> forever young. Forever young. Yeah, so, I, so my sister went off to the University of Missouri, and meanwhile in, in high school in Ohio, Ohio? Ohio? Not, yeah. Meanwhile in Ohio, <laughs> um, I was, uh, you know, improvising, putting on shows, putting on... Uh, circuses. Putting on circuses. You used to do circuses. Um, I used to, yeah, yeah, I used to be in a ring sometimes. I liked... Trained dogs, right? There were trained animals. Were there on like the ropes? Yes, Victor yeah. the Clowns? dog. Yes. Okay. Good. We had a trapeze in the backyard. Okay. Um, so we did that. I did that. Um, and then moved off to New York. But 
early on, um, circa second grade, after being in The Music Man, very great production of The Music Man, the best production of The Music Man, uh, the fanciest woman in town came up to me, uh, Mary Beth, and said to me, so what, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, oh, I want to be an actor. Okay. Where do you want to move? I said, L.A. And she said, you got to move to New York. You got to move to a place with culture. <laughs> <laughs> so that sort of, you know, bias was planted into my head um, at, in second grade. And so then my sister goes off um, to the University of Missouri, and I went to visit her one day. And go. Gregory was her roommate at that point. And that first night, probably in 1992, yeah. Greg was DJing. He's also DJ. He was DJing at the local dance club. Yeah, a goth club called Shattered. <laughs> and all in one I night, I, I met Greg, <laughs> met dance music, and met beer. Yeah. <laughs> I got you drunk for the first time. It sounds gross to say that out loud, <laughs> but it's true. I didn't mean anything by it. I just got like a bunch of pictures of, you know, I didn't know. Anyway. It was light beer, yeah. So, so um, yeah. So that was my first time I met Tom. Yeah, so then I moved to New York in 1993 to go to Columbia, and uh, that's when we met. Greg moved at the same time. So well, I've been was, here uh, since 93. Yeah, I, I moved here in 93, but in 1992, uh, I had a summer intern in New York that changed my life um, for Entertainment Weekly. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I, that was like there before the grace go... I into uh, celebrity news. You know, yeah. I could have done that. But you but were great. So you were an intern. Summer 92? Yeah. So anyway, but I moved here in 1993 and for many years lived at uh, Park and 23rd was my very first apartment. And Tom would come down from Columbia University to hang out because yeah. I, I didn't know anyone. Far too often. Greg just skipped over the anecdote of the time that he interviewed ABBA. <laughs> and... And he actually got to be on NPR's um, uh, All Things Considered, talking to Robert Siegel, I think, about ABBA. Yeah. And back in Ohio, we were all huddled around the kitchen radio, <laughs> waiting for this moment when Greg Young, my sister's roommate, was going to come on, and he came on, and it was like we knew somebody who was famous. You <laughs> know? So, yeah, I mean, so that was like my first uh, like broadcast experience, actually. Yeah, you were great. So, so, you know, so Tom and I are, uh, are friends. We're like going out all the time. Um, a few visits to the limelight in the 1990s. Anyone know the limelight? Research. Research. <laughs> it's an old church. It's an old <laughs> church. Well, I mean, we did, a whole, we did a whole podcast on it with this sort of like winking of like, oh, Tom, do we want to go back to this place, you know? I mean, it's a gym and a, and a store now, but anyway. But so, you used to go there to pray. Yeah. But the, um, anyway, so. Uh, yeah, so um, we were going yeah, out in the <laughs> 90s. Um, that's the blurry part of the story. But Greg was awesome. He, he was a, a drama critic for the gay downtown weekly HX yeah. magazine. I don't know if anybody so, remembers yeah, did HX. So, yeah, I did that for a year. And that's, Tom and I really bonded during that because I had to have, I needed to find someone who could go with me to musicals because I actually didn't know musicals that well. And Tom was like I knew music. the maestro of musicals. <laughs> so that's where we, I think we became really close friends. And then we just decided to go on, like, just sort of over the next few years, like, Wacky adventures, many of them um, which would be quite historically based. And I want to show uh, the first, well, 
this isn't a slideshow. I don't want it to be like a vacation. Like, and here's when I was in Tahoe. But, but, I, the, but can we just say that we we were organizing these sort of themed presentations for each other. We were kind of <laughs> weird, you know. So, but but we yeah. but Greg was also really into the planning stage. You know, it's like he's got this energy. You know, it's contagious. But the only reason I bring this one up is because it kind of relates directly to the development of the Bowery Boys. Yes. When um, in Halloween of 2000, uh, I did all this research online to find real ghosts in New England, like places where ghosts were, like graveyards that were haunted, like. Places yeah. like that. And this did a whole road trip based around this. We had like, so here's, here's, a, here's a picture of, of that trip. Actually with, <laughs> actually with, um, um, that's Elizabeth. So that's, that's the sort of like the bonding The one on the right here. is my sister. And I don't, don't <laughs> mind what I'm dressed as. I was listening to a lot of the Strokes and Franz Ferdinand back then. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. But anyway, uh, uh, for the listener yeah. at home, yeah. <laughs> uh, Greg has just projected a slide of the three of us, my sister Elizabeth on the right, me on the left, and Greg in the middle, next to some sort of funereal monument. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that, but that trip involved us doing research on places, um, involved fold-out maps. Do you remember those mm. things? We mm. actually like sat in like the hotel room and like pinned things on the wall and everything. Yeah. So, um, so we've done a lot of little things like that. So that's sort of the precursor, mm -hmm. I think, sort of the cooking together mm -hmm. of things that would eventually and later become the podcast. By the way, we did encounter some ghosts. Um, we were yeah. haunted. Remember, we were visited in that cottage. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there yeah. Was, we were in the cottage, and it was the last, because it was, uh, you know, they were closing up for the season, That's and we right. were the only people staying in this cottage. In Maine, about an hour in from the, the water. And it was it's snow covered. Yeah, snowing on Halloween. Yeah. We wound up at this, at this cottage. My sister, her boyfriend at the time, Jesse, the two of us, spent the night. We didn't know we were going to tell this story. But no, yeah, no, no. It's, it's we spent spooky. the night. We got all, all sort of like spooked out and drank too much Mountain Dew. <laughs> As you do. Yes. On a ghost How trip. How much is too much? <laughs> <laughs> we, we were visited in the morning. Somebody came, was knocking at the door over and over and over again. Finally, we went downstairs. Nobody was there. We opened up the door, and there were no traces in the snow. There were no footprints. Pause. <laughs> Dramatic pause. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, but we didn't do anything like that again. because we were like, of the trip. Yeah, that was a little bit to getting close to truly scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, um, so while you were covering theater for HX, I mean, I know, I, I know that you were, uh, I was wondering what kind of productions you covered. I know you are pretty into Rent at the time. Oh, uh, yeah, so yeah, I did. Um, if I, you can believe pretty that. Pretty into Rent. I was mega into Rent. So, I, got, I mean, I saw, like, Rent the, like, the week after Jonathan died, so the energy... I mean, I was... I just... Downtown, it, right? In the yeah, East I mean, it was so incredible because the... Like, they were just so full of energy and this, the production seemed so alive. But I had to do... Um, because this was for a downtown nightlife magazine. I, that, those, for those in the audience, those were... I mean, for those at home, those are quotation marks. <laughs> the, um, it was a lot of, uh, like, small, super small production, like... I think there was a show called Cute Boys in Their Underpants. I think there was one show I had to review. Oh, what was that, that about? Um, <laughs> you know, it was an adaptation of a Eugene O'Neill play. <laughs> 
But um, did yeah. we mention that your name was the drama queen? Did we say that already? Oh, yeah. you don't have to say it. everything that about. comes yeah. through your mind. I couldn't remember Tom. if we said it. Yeah. So did we intentionally say that? <laughs> anyway, so but uh, you, yeah, and, yeah. And so didn't you meet Eartha Kitt at one point? <laughs> okay, so and then we gotta like get, this feels indulgent to me. All right, so but I then I also reviewed some cabaret, and so one night we went to the cafe Carlisle, and keep in mind we're like super duper young looking and we're just supposed to be sitting in the back because I'm there to kind of take notes and review it for this downtown magazine. And we were totally not dressed appropriately. So note to self, if you go to the Cafe Carlisle to see some other great legend who's still with us, um, dress up, you know, if you want to get a good seat. We were not, but I was like 22 and you were 21. Yeah. And we were <laughs> in the back, we were in the back of the bar when? When they said, would you... Um, would you like to take a seat at the very front of the stage? Ms. Braxton could not arrive. So it was Tony Braxton's and her date seat. So we got sat in the front. But I kind of think that this was done on purpose for the show that we were there to see was Eartha Kitt. Yeah. And we were basically her playthings for like the whole show. And then at, at, at one point, she actually came down into the audience and sat on Tom's lap. She did a rumba on my lap. And... She was kind of like purring, and at the end of the song, after the applause, she leaned forward and said, does your daddy know you're here? <laughs> yeah, I mean... My daddy did know I was there, actually. I mean, I talk to him all the time. But... She is a, she's a goddess. Yeah, she was great. <gasps> okay, so let's get back to... So you've started a podcast. Yeah. Oh, right. What are we here for? Uh, so it's 2007. You're yeah. starting the podcast. Where, let me ask you this. Where'd the name come from? I alluded to it earlier, but how did you choose this name? Well, the name of the first show, the one about Canal Street outside the window, um, we didn't know what to call it. So we just called it New York Cast. Because you know? that's what they were all doing, as you could tell from yeah. that book. It was like, yeah, it's you, know, like you, you just put no an model. apostrophe in front of things, and it was cute and acceptable. You know? So we were New York Cast. <laughs> And that, though, didn't seem like a zingy enough name. So then the next week, it was my birthday, so it would have been in June of 2007, and we were off at Joe's Pub, <laughs> seeing internationally acclaimed drag chanteuse Varla Jean Merman, <laughs> when Greg leans over in between numbers, leans over and whispers in my ear, well, hey, I have a great idea. Let's call ourselves the Bowery Boys. And so the reason, well, the reason being, I'm, you know, there's trends. I mean, now that we're sort of knee deep in this or neck deep in this, there's kind of trends in what kind of history are sort of in vogue at the time. And because of Martin Scorsese's movie, G Gangs of New York, which had just come out earlier, um, there was a lot of interest in gang life and like 19th century, like mid 19th century gangs. And their story was interesting, the 19th century gang. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that we're named after the comedy troupe, but actually that was like not even, we didn't think about that even no, we until weeks later, which is kind of weird. Anyway, but so we're, we're named after this violent gang, and I told Tom we should name ourselves after it at a drag show. Also a very racist gang, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah, they're very problematic. Yeah. I couldn't even hear Greg. I just nodded. And the next <laughs> thing I knew, we had a show called The Bowery. Yeah, that's what they name. It's catchy. <laughs> and um, so tell us a little more. So you, so you started, you, you, your first episode is the Canal Street episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah, let me just... Tell like, me a little more about the early days. Well, so uh, you kind of, we kind of told the kind of reasoning, but let me just talk about this specific 
the circumstances. Because it was a mid, it was mid-June 2007, and here's where the props come in, Tom. Would you like to care, hold the props? Well, this is the computer we recorded on. The only These reason are quite I, possibly the least interesting props you've <laughs> yeah. ever seen. Though. The only reason I wanted to bring it up, and do you guys remember, like it looks like a Fisher-Price computer. I mean, it's so weird looking today. And when you came to a history podcast, did you really think you'd see a late 2006 <laughs> MacBook? Oh, it's so dusty. Uh, t- don't open it. Come on. That thing has fingerprints from 2009 on it. And I just wanted to use that because, first of all, it explains why we have uh, our cheesy intro, but also to just show how, like, how homemade the world of podcasting was back then. No, and so then this was the, actually the microphone that we used for the first few episodes. I even think, you know, I mean... We've taken it out of the glass case. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, some of those early episodes are still available, and you should listen to them. Maybe not for, like... Historical accuracy? I mean, I know, I mean, I think... I think the information is accurate. I just think we're not talking about these things in very compelling ways. And also, they were like 10 minutes. How can you talk about the history of Washington Square Park for 10 minutes, right? I mean, what we've learned through this show is I mean, we, could make, we could make shows that are literally infinite in length. Because once you start pulling threads of these stories, there's like a million more underneath it. So... We didn't know how to ramble back then as like we do with your hand now, I think. So. Or we knew how to self-edit. So. <laughs> oh, that, well, that's true, too. So, yeah, so we recorded on that machine with that microphone until we started upgrading pretty soon into it. See, the thing is, about gaining any kind of traction or any kind of audience, when you have more people listening, then suddenly you start feeling some pressure to be accurate. You know, yeah, and well, I mean, huh. you know. and you start getting feedback, um, and we were mostly accurate, you know. But I think that there was some sloppiness that might have also been caused by, you know, letting loose a little bit during the recording process um, and having some wine or, you know, enjoying ourselves while we were doing. It wasn't it. So, professionally done, I don't think. The first, <laughs> the first few. No, so we had to kind of step it up, step up the game a little bit. But yeah, I mean, but once again, but once you start interacting with New York, and I think it was around like episode twelve or something, where the gravity kind of took took me over. I'm sure it did to both of us. Totally. Where it was just like, oh wait, so. Th- this is our subject. We thought it would be cute and whatever. They were going to do these 10 or 15 minute shows. But actually, I mean, this history is just so profound and uh, so deep that, you know, we wanted to talk more about it. And so in order to do that, we had to become educated about it, experienced with it, and then learn to become kind of master researchers, you know, to try, especially through digital archives, you know. Yeah, which have also developed quite a bit in the past 10 years. And we would not be able to do the show that we do now without the tireless work of archivists, of librarians, people who are keeping this history. I mean, we tell stories, but they're actually guarding the stories. You know, they're keeping the stories for for future generations. So thank you, thank you, Kim. Thank you. If there are any out in the um, crowd, thanks. (laughs) Or in the listening audience. Archivists. Librarian right here, yeah. Yes, right here. So let's use this uh, probably a good moment to talk about... um, you know, you said you've developed a lot over the years, but let's look at some of your favorite episodes. I'm sure people in the audience have their own favorites. Mm-hmm. If we pull up one of yours, feel free to, to cheer or applaud. Let's look at let's yeah. Look so at we're going to go through episodes, we're going to go through a few, and um, I think talk you have a, a slideshow, right? 
Well, I yes, I do. Huh. But you know, what a Greg, a, vi- a visual, a, a visual presentation. Not a I will show. remind you, of course, that this is an episode of the Bowery Boys. So we're going to tackle that slideshow after this. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. We've seen all the video call fails by now, the mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. And we're back. <laughs> what a good Listen commercial. Listen to that roar of laughter. Wow, yeah, this is a live show. Yeah. Live and on fire. Um, all right, so we are going to begin, of course, at the beginning. So this, um, this is a slide of a, a, a charming, charming vista of you a place it. known as Collect Pond. So to me, it's like one of these core New York City stories that typifies New York City history in a way that I think no other does. So it's a freshwater pond that was in Manhattan around the area of Civic Center. And uh, it was quite beautiful for a time, and then they built a bunch of tanneries and factories around it. The city drank water out of it for a time. Breweries brewed beer from this water. But because of all this, over decades, it became quite fetid and quite horrible. And as the city starts growing by the early 19th century, they can't have this disgusting stew in the middle of the city. You know, the city's growing north. So they decide to drain it. So they drained it, of course, as anybody knows who knows history or has listened to either the first episode that we did or episode 46 when we redid that Canal Street show. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the ways that they got rid of the water, the chief way, was through a series of canals 
that went along what is today Canal Street. And, and in many ways, when you're driving or you know, driving down Canal Street today, it's just as clogged as it used to be, <laughs> except with automobiles. And just time. as smelly, yeah. <laughs> and with but you can get great unlicensed purses. <laughs> yeah, great handbags. That's about it. I think we That's may that. have even made that joke, Tom, at, the, at our last Probably show. Sorry. Did. I don't know but, what's on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so that is episode one and 46. Yeah. Collect Pond. Or oh, 50, no, episode 50. Oh, is it 50? Yeah, I think so. Oh, it's 50. Yeah. We barely remember the name, the numbers of our shows, like the way we record, so it's okay. It's um, but if, if we're talking about Collect Pond, you know, when we're talking about pulling a string in New York history and what that can lead to, you know, how every thread leads to something bigger, of course, talking about Collect Pond forces you to talk about the landfill that went into creates new land for development on this space that would be called Paradise Square. And it would be here that some developers would build some real upscale housing, which would soon suffer because those foundations were shaky. The people would flee to the next upscale development, and those who would come in would be the poorest residents of the city, the you know, newly arriving immigrants. Yeah. And of course, this would descend into what would be called Five Points. So today, and we try to tie it as much as possible with every show that we do, tie it back to at least one place in the city that you can visit. And so there is actually a Collect Pond Park that's around the Civic Center area. I mean, it's nothing like glamorous, but to stand in perhaps an otherwise unremarkable civic park and to think all of this history happened literally right, right there. Like you're standing yeah. where the fetid water was. So. And Five Points was wiped off the map in the late uh, 19th century, so you really can't find that intersection, but it's kind of where Worth Street and Columbus Park, Yeah, right, mm -hmm. right there, that was the actual Five yeah. Points. Yes. Yeah. Moving on to something a little bit more whimsical. <laughs> um, the, the image on the screen right now is that of Barnum's American Museum. Um, which we did an old show on many, many, many years ago, and then we just, our last show was on Barnum's role in the circus. Yeah. What's remarkable about this particular place, it's, it's unlike anything uh, that we can possibly imagine in both, you know, positive and negative ways, because um, it was like, it, it was a... It was an aquarium, it was a zoo, it was an educational space, it was a museum for fine objects, it was a museum for weird oddities of nature. Um, of course, it had an, ele an elephant, el an element? <laughs> elephant? An, an element? Element of elephants, yes. Um, um, an element of what became the sideshow out in Coney Island and that kind of thing. So a lot of things trace themselves through the doors of this spot. Yeah, and I think... A personal note here, I, this also exemplifies how we may have become a little bit more nuanced as storytellers as well, because I think episode 46 was probably 2008. So we thought it was just hilarious. You know, when it burned, it was like there were wax figures flying out the windows. And yeah. I remember sort of hamming it up about that. Well, there, I mean, yeah, there's like a most notable anecdote from this is when the, like the wax figure of Jefferson Davis, the head of the Confederacy, who was dressed in drag because, of course, we were making fun of him and there was a story about him. Anyway, that was thrown out the window during the fire and carted off. So, I mean, there's funny parts about it, but the story has a dark side. Right, yeah, and, and I think by episode 225, we understood a little bit better that the story of P.T. Barnum 
is a complicated one. You know, he's sort of the inventor of American showmanship and known as a humbug, you know? Uh, but he also brought the concept of museums to the masses at a time when museums were not places that, you know, where everybody could go. Or places where things were necessarily real. <laughs> right. True, that too. You got a mermaid, for example. Oh, well, a yeah, Fiji the Fiji mermaid. mermaid. Yeah. Mermaid. Don't get us started okay. in this. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys um, mentioned earlier yeah. some ghost hunting. So let's talk about some of your ghosts. ghosts related episodes. Ghost. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so a, mo- a lot of people, are, 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 they're always a big event, our ghost story shows. We, of course, do them every October um, to tie into Halloween. And it is true that, like, it is because I'm, like I said, I'm from the Ozarks, so I like strings of Christmas lights, like for every holiday and for every possible occasion. That's true. Greg is always bringing in their, their Halloween Halloween Christmas lights. Did anybody know this? I mean, <laughs> that are an orange oh, they and have, black they and have, always brings them They in. have lights for everything. I'm yeah. sure that there are Easter lights. I mean, I, who knows? You've brought those. Yeah, so it was done. Obviously, you can't see us do that. So the only reason we talk about that is, or why it's even this important is because those are sort of pure storytelling mixed with history. So, I mean, it doesn't matter if you believe in ghosts or you don't believe in ghosts. The point is that there are places in New York City, or places all over the United States. I mean, ghost stories are embedded with history, right? They're always about people that some tragedy has happened or something just sort of rueful and terrible is usually the story. So what we just get a kick out of is finding the roots of that story and where it actually connects to real life New York City. Yeah, they can be very tricky to research, which offers an opportunity as well, you know, because you can... You can improvise. You can add dramatic flourishes to stories um, that may or may not be true. You can, you know, ham it up and add some music and sound effects in the background, <laughs> which the, we enjoy yeah, doing as yeah. well. But the, uh, the most amazing thing about most of these, and this is what I just love about going to old newspapers, is that most of these ghost stories that we tell, um, most of them were reported on. Like, some of them, we just literally rip it from the headlines. And because there was this period, you know, after the Civil War, the late 19th century, where spiritualism was a really, like, big, profound thing thing in people's lives. And so even if these newspapers were sort of covering it in a way that maybe was sort of cheeky and maybe not 100% serious, it was still published as if it was kind of a news story, you know, it was as if it was something that was real. And spiritualism being the phenomenon of contacting ghosts. Right. And, the, right. and, and the seances. Popular phenomenon that, right, right, seances. Yes. And, yeah, right. crystal balls and everything. Right. One of these days, perhaps, I mean, if we're sacrilegious enough, we'll actually have a seance on the podcast. Would that be weird? Probably weird, right? Yeah. Let us know afterwards if anybody has any connections. Well, we can... Con- Living or otherwise, well, con- to make that happen. Well, contact Peter Stuyvesant, maybe. Uh, I'm he ready. Seems like, he seems to be like the only person who would come on the show. He's like, my <laughs> reputation has been besmirched. I'm only known as Peg Leg Pete. I was no. a nice guy. Mm. Anyway, um, on to one of the most dramatic moments in New York City history, the Great Fire of 1835. Yeah, so this was the first in our Great series. You know, we have great fires, there are great blizzards, um, there are other fires. 
There are <laughs> great disaster. This great disaster. That there right. was a yeah. And and you know they're very serious affairs. Obviously, New York you know has shown great has unfortunately hosted or seen many of these things take place from way back when up until right you know today's headlines. So we've experienced some of those. In the meantime, we'll be talking about Hurricane Sandy in a second. But uh, the natural disasters also, like this one I remember, 1835, was the first time when we got to do our kind of play-by-play of... We could tell events in chronological order as they happen, like, you know, minute by minute. Right, like being on the scene, you know, watching the flames jump from the top of one building to the next and the firemen's pumping their hoses and such. And... Again, what's really profound about this story is if you walk down like downtown Manhattan, if you have a map of like the, the affected area, which is essentially below Wall Street, but everything east of Broadway, pretty much like the burn district. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of see it. I mean, not, not, I don't mean like you can actually see like a fire raging, but you can walk around and look at the architecture. And, you know, you don't have any buildings from before 1835 in that area. And if you do, it was a, one that was miraculously saved. It's a story that still kind of, uh, you know, Stone Street was built after, immediately after the fire. And so now it's, you know, on a Friday night, it's full of people drinking beer on the cobblestones, but there's a profound origin story to that street. Yeah, and it's a reminder that no matter what befalls New York, New York always rebuilds stronger. Also, interestingly enough, wasn't it um, Alexander Hamilton's son who enacted the plan to, oh, right. uh, to yeah. prevent the fire from spreading? One of the ways in which they stopped the fire is that essentially they had to blow up a building yeah. so that the fire, when it was moving, so they could just kind of stop the fire in its tracks. And so they did it in this very ceremonial fashion, actually, with uh, Alexander. Because no one wanted to be responsible for blowing up a building. Right, the New mayor York didn't City, want to take credit obviously. for it or the fire so chief. Like, We'll just give it to the son of Alex, probably. So <laughs> so here comes Boss Tweed. There he is. Uh, <laughs> Someone's still There's better like in the audience. There's like a groan over here, yeah. <laughs> some, <laughs> some Irish laborer in the audience. <laughs> no, they he would, helped he, them get jobs. He promised me a job. Yeah. Actually, yeah. yes. It would, have been, it would have been a radical Republican, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Anti-Tammany. The reform. A the Whig. Rep- <laughs> So this guy mm-hmm. is a very notorious white-collar criminal, we would call him, right? Pretty much, right? A political boss, um, operative. But because of, I mean, he's sort of a totem for everything that was, was wrong with Tammany Hall, which was the a democratic political machine, which installed a lot of people in office and was responsible for a lot of graft, bribery, and, you know, building structures at 10 times the cost. Yeah, he ran Tammany Hall from the 1850s until the early 1870s um, and was the most powerful man in New York, I think we could say. I think uh, so, yeah. It's also a story of somebody who was born into very humble means, grew to the pinnacle of power, and ended up dying after a sensational corruption case in Ludlow Street Jail, which is today's Essex High School, um, Seward Park High School on Essex Street. So he kind of zigzagged in his career and offers a reminder um, that, you know, people who grow to unbelievable heights can still be jailed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just saying. saying. Um, 
That, By the that way, the when we recorded this show, um, it was exactly the same moment as the Bernie Madoff trials. So, I mean, it was happening at that moment. That's what I was referring to. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ah! No, no, no. How do I stop this? Sorry. That was, uh, for those at home, that was a, a, a GQ. I, I guess I just have all these GQ magazine covers on my computer. It was of Donald Trump, but that's, we're not talking about that. We're talking about okay. this beautiful thing that you see behind me is the City Hall uh, subway station, which is no longer, uh, we can't use it anymore, but is indicative of the glory of this absolutely ambitious project called the New York City Subway. Yes, it opened in 1904. Fans of the subway? <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, it was the first time that we did a series, so we did a subway series, um, sort of sly sports reference, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. It was, right? Yeah, that yeah. checks out. Yeah. yeah. That, that tracks. Yeah. And it was a five-part series. Yeah, we, we decided to do transit, you know, one summer. We just did all kinds of transit stories. So we started with streetcars, omnibuses, ferries, uh, elevated railroads, yeah, and then finally the a two-parter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, elevated, too, yeah. And then a two-parter on the subway. And that was fascinating, you know, because we have told the story of the Commissioner's Plan of 1811, about how the street grid was imposed upon Manhattan, about how the, the island was really prepared for future growth. But it would take transportation, oh, just got so excited. <laughs> it would take transportation to move people, you know, and to make it possible for people to really live in other areas, to live uptown mm -hmm. and to work downtown. And yeah, and this was uh, probably our number one show. I mean, we, I, we haven't really counted them up and ranked them Casey Kasem style, but I think it's probably our number one downloads because, I mean, back to what we were saying, like, you're riding the subway and you're stuck underground. You're like, what is taking so long? It's nice to be reminded that the subway's from 1904 and that it's really old and it's really vast and it's really big and all of it just goes into that bad day you're having, I think. <laughs> it's run so, by a series of levers in an office yeah. somewhere. <laughs> so on to something a little bit more uh, jovial. Um, this uh, slide represents a bunch of party folk at Sardi's. Mm. So um, I'm only including it in here just to, just to say that when we record the show, although it's a conversation, it sometimes even sounds like we're at a bar sometimes, it can be very sort of conversational and, uh, and informal, we really do it in a very professional manner. Sure. Except for the Sardis show, because I thought, it, because if you're going to record Sardis, you've got to like, kind of act like you're at Sardis, right? So I thought it would be great to make martinis as we recorded the show. Um, and I don't know if there's any martini drinkers in here. First, okay, you know that the first martini, it was a great show. <laughs> the second martini? It was not so much a great show. Um, I mean, it's, it's still kind of fun, but use that if you, if you go back and listen to it, um, just to hear the clinking glasses. Although it does have my favorite anecdote of all time in it. Which one? Oh, the one about Tallulah Bankhead? Yes. Would you like to recount it? I don't think... Do we have time for a Tallulah Bankhead story? I think you've got um, a minute. Yeah, go for it. So Tallulah, you know, fabulous actress, was downstairs and she was, you know, reigning over a crowd. She might even be in this photo. I'm not sure. She went up to use the ladies' room to powder her nose. Well, actually, no, because this takes place in a stall. She gets into a stall, 
She's sitting there, and she looks over, and she realizes she's run out of toilet paper. She knocks on the wall. You know, there's a little space under here. There's a woman on the other side, the next stall over, saying, hello, yes, yes. And Tallulah reaches under with a $10 bill and says, pardon me, sweetie, you got two fives for a 10? <laughs> a little blue. Let it sink in, it's great, yeah. All right, on to another disaster, uh, Rockaway Beach. <laughs> Um, this, uh, this slide represents wonderful Rockaway Playland, and Rockaway Beach is an amazing place, and the history is fascinating. The reason I'm including it into this slideshow is because we recorded this three months before Hurricane Sandy. And so there's like this weird, like, everyone go out there, everything's great. And like, well, there's allusions to like disasters have sometimes hit. But it's, a, it's just as a reminder that our shows are, we want them to be evergreen, but sometimes they're just very stuck in time. And we Well, because the subject itself is New York, which yeah. could not be more alive. So, I mean, you, we choose that as a topic, and we never really know what's going to happen. You know, in that case, um, yeah, that was released. It had been out for a couple months. Mm -hmm. Then my apartment, um, where we recorded the show was without electricity for a week since it was downtown. Mm -hmm. And I was heading off to Europe on a work trip for my other job. And Greg was back in Brooklyn, um, and he put out a very special episode, a Hurricane Sandy update. Yeah, like on the spot. It was like yeah. two days later. Because I felt like, oh, wow, okay, we are actually living a historical uh, moment here. So um, so anyway, so we have, we have a kind of a special spawner heart for this particular show. So. Oh, that keeps crawling is, is in it, there. Oh is my. it just me or is he getting closer? <laughs> okay. I'm not looking. Um, I don't the, like the, that it's behind me. Well, the, <laughs> the, this slide, the slide behind I mean, represents, this is um, Evelyn Nesbitt, um, looking very glamorous in this particular picture. But this represents our podcast and the story of us, the murder of Stanford White. Stanford White was, of course, uh, one of the most renowned architects during New York in the Gilded Age, and Evelyn was his plaything, pretty much, right? And so he was, he was assassinated on the rooftop of his own creation, Madison Square Garden, by her husband, Harry Thal. Yeah, and we, you know, it, it's got many of the right elements for a hit show, and we kind of were hoping for that going into it, and it was. I mean, look, we get to talk about the Gilded Age, Always a popular topic. McKim Meaden White, architecture history, fun. And then with theater, she was a Florador girl, right? Unless I'm yeah, misremembering. So, yeah, yeah Florador. Any fans of Florador? Um, <laughs> yeah, a surefire head episode. You know, so, I think so I reviewed it back in the 90s. <laughs> no, anyway, sorry. So, um, and there was a murder, a murder mystery. So, so we were excited about that story. However, it's complicated, you know, and history's complicated, because this is also a story about statutory rape. So you can't get all sort of crazy and excited about telling that story the same way. It puts a kind of, I don't know, it just, it, it, it forces you to, to pause and think about how, you know, what is our responsibility in telling that story? And we didn't even know how to, what, what words to use. We didn't know if we should call it statutory rape. I mean, if, you know, that was not something we wanted to drop lightly into the episode. And yet that is, like, what 
happened. Yeah. I mean, even though the historical record, I mean, sometimes you, you tend to repeat history in the way that others have told it, but that buries even further the experiences of other people who didn't get the chance to have their voices heard. Did you find this as a, a particular challenge of having to interpret it through the way that it was reported at the time and sort of get through yeah, to what it's modern lens would look yeah. like? Well, yes. Really. That's usually a challenge with, with most of our shows. For this one, it just felt very important to make this a modern story like because mm -hmm. people like this is something that was and it didn't just happen to her and it didn't just happen to Stanford White right that there right. was this was a sort of epidemic the the male and female relations back then it was just but, very but it was strange. also a moment it was when the podcast had crossed um, a certain threshold in terms of listenership and it's just you know we knew we wanted to get the wording right and yeah reached out to um, a friend yeah. who's um, a women's studies major, uh, professor, who helped us understand yeah. how to say that. Um, another crime, it kind of falls into that, but it was a little less known, is also another one of our favorites, called The Disappearance of Dorothy Arnold. And this was just, I just wanted to include this one in here, because it's a, uh, it, it demonstrates how uh, history just keeps bringing us these little stories that well, I wasn't aware of this story no. 10 years ago. I, I don't think I was, I was barely aware of it five or six years ago. And so what was great about it is this story was almost entirely researched from old newspapers. And for those who haven't heard, it's um, the story of a socialite who walked outside of her mansion one day in 1910. She headed down to do some shopping around Madison Square Park and said goodbye to a friend while she was standing on Fifth Avenue and disappeared. It was never seen again. And it was, it was a big, big story. It was in all the papers. And there were all kinds of theories. So we explored that in that topic, while also you know, mentioning that there were plenty of people who were not millionaires who went missing, probably. Right, yeah. And I mean, this is, she was rich. I yeah. mean, this was a, that is what this story was. And uh, not to keep bringing this to uh, downer moments, <laughs> yeah. but then uh, most recently we just recorded a show on Lincoln Center, which, oh, it's glamorous, that's great. There's opera, there's ballet. The story is also about a predominantly African-American and Puerto Rican neighborhood called San Juan Hill being just completely torn out, mm -hmm. destroyed, and placing perhaps the weirdest thing to replace it with, which is this sort of fine arts center with all of this, like, you know, glorious architect by some of the greatest names of the 1960s. Sure, so that was kind of complicated, but initially we weren't even going that deep in it. We were staying away from Lincoln Center because sometimes telling the history of a major cultural institution is a little bit of a harder sell than, say, a mystery show, you know? And so we also married this topic to uh, the development and the filming of West Side Story, which legendarily was, was filmed and shot on some of the blocks that were part of the project that would become Lincoln Center, but not just there, also up on the Upper East Side. So we got to kind of play with, you know, putting those stories together, which was kind of fun. Um, next slide. Ah! Oh, Jesus. okay, wait. Just tell the story. All right, so anyway, story. so yet one more picture um, of President, well, Donald Trump, uh, <laughs> President Trump today. President uh, Trump. The reason I, I bring it up is it's an actual show. It was, it's a Barry Boys episode from 2011. I did it as a solo show, and I mean, it's an interesting story about mid-20th century, uh, how houses middle-class housing was built. Um, of course, you know, also about housing discrimination. But, and that's... What, which year? 
Well, well, in the mid-20th century. Now, which year did you tape this show? Oh, 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I say all these things that are just patently obvious in the show. It's like, Trump, who sometimes says ridiculous things, (laughs) dot, dot, dot. And I even call him New York's wealthiest graffiti artist. (laughs) Nice. That's a good. I was like, that's a good zing. Pat my 2011 self on the head for I that one. I think he's removed a lot of those tags, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. I but anyway, his will in some cases. It's an intriguing story. So this, of course, leads us Wait, to. Can I just say one more thing yeah. about that show? That was maybe the least popular show ever, right? <laughs> I mean, you. We, we got. Would yeah. you say that that show has about a 38 percent approval rating? <laughs> <laughs> Actually. Probably. Good one. Good one. Good one. Um, uh, but I, but I, th- but whatever. The story is interesting. I think. No, no. We, fast, we, we, just, we got mail. We got mail. Yeah. And now I turn your attention. Okay, so this is a big moment. Are you ready? Twenty-five episodes in. <laughs> and, guys. ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Robert Moses. Finally. I recognize oh, a lot of urban group. renewal fans in the audience. <laughs> wow. <laughs> When I can recognize that glare anywhere. So of 225 episodes, uh, Robert Moses and uh, Jane Jacobs, have, one or the other or both, have appeared in go. roughly 300 of the 225 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Since we're here doing the first live episode, 10th anniversary, I think you guys are going to settle once and for all. Greatest New Yorker, Robert Moses or Jane Jacobs. I'm going to give each one of you about 90 seconds, maybe two no. minutes. Oh, no. No, maybe A like minute? one minute. Let's do it one minute. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you are a con- more concise than I thought. Uh, who would like to represent Jane Jacobs? Uh, I'll take Jane. All right, Tom. By, by default, you are defending Robert Moses. Yes. Okay, can do. The reason that Jane Jacobs is important is because New York City, it, it needs infrastructure, but it also needs microstructure. Micro, oh my gosh, microstructure. Edit. <laughs> Edit. It needs the places where we live, it needs the places where we work, it needs the places where we play. You can't look at a city and look at it like a spreadsheet. You can't look at a city and think, what's the best thing to keep this city running if you're not f- at first thinking the people who live in it? And that's the legacy of Jane Jacobs, to remind us that sometimes, even in a city as vast as New York City, that it's, it, it may be a population, but it's a population of millions of millions of people, and they live on the street, they live in places every day that they, like that's why they are, that's mm-hmm. why they live and breathe. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I ran out of my sound bites here. No, no, no. The, um, I, I just think that she was thinking about New Yorkers less than thinking about New York, which is what Robert Moses is kind of known for doing and creating this New York that was functioning, but not for the residents. All right, and that's time. All right, Jane Jacobs. And you'll all get a chance to vote at the end. Oh. All right, Tom, are you ready? Make the argument for Robert Moses. You know, I think Robert Moses made the argument for himself. Um, from the moment that he enters the scene, right? There's never been another Robert Moses. From the moment he enters the scene, he's remaking parks, building parks and playgrounds and pools, right? Then he's building huge infrastructure projects, bridges, tunnels that we still use every day, which need to be updated. <laughs> then he's building, yes, 
highways problematically, but he is also a realist. Robert Moses, we have to put him in historical context. By the point where he is building most of these huge, prod these huge uh, highways, say the, even the Cross Bronx Expressway, post-war, right? The reality of the city is that people were racing to get to the suburbs. Middle-class New York was fleeing the city because they could. They came back from the war. They were getting, you know, war loans, um, army loans. They were buying houses and getting cars. If the city was going to survive, it needed to survive in a way that included, like it or not, the automobile. That was the thought then. <laughs> now it's time. the automobile and bike lanes. But still, uh, he was a realist. Right. So wait, am I getting? I'm getting and my 30 seconds. So in, in closing, <laughs> yeah, it's what I would like to, to say. Spin your way out of this one, sure. What I would like to say in closing is that perhaps what we saw last week in Penn Station, what we saw when a 50-year-old freaky switchbox got hit by a car and then suddenly hundreds of thousands of people couldn't commute properly, there has never been a moment when New York needs another Robert Moses like right now. Thank All you. All right, Thank Robert you. Moses. Uh, OK. okay. Well, you've That's both good. been penalized 100 points for going over your time. However, <laughs> we are going to even those out. We're going to take a vote by the round of applause of the audience. Oh, we're going to do uh, Jane Jacobs first, then Robert Moses. Yeah, by sure. round of applause, who found the Jane Jacobs argument more no. compelling? <laughs> Thank you. You bunch of community Moses. gardeners. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Ooh. I'm going to have to call that for Jane Jacobs. Greg Young oh is the God. winner. I Ultimately, we'll come back to that in another 225 episodes or 10 years. <laughs> and you'll have plenty of time then to listen to our podcast, Installed Traffic, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay? Um, Just try to get to the airport, I dare what you. What a good sport. Okay, so, ladies and gentlemen, it's now time uh, for a little bit of your input. If anyone has questions for the Bowery Boys, we have a microphone set up right here, and you can line up in this aisle over here. And if, any, if you'd like to ask a question, hopefully New York history or podcast or Bowery Boy history related, please join us right here. Yes, go ahead. Right here. Hello. Hi. And please try Hello. to keep your questions to one or two sentences so we can Hi. all get it in. Um, so I've lived in New York for a while and grew up on Long Island, but I walk down 23rd Street a couple times a week. And I recently walked past this old church. I never noticed it before. So I wanted to know if there are buildings or places in New York that you guys walk by every single day and then suddenly notice it. Uh, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. wanted, like, how do you find out like, what that old church was? Well, that happens every day. That's a great question because as we learn more about New York City, there'll be little facets that like, there's a spotlight on all of a sudden. So it'll be a street... Where, I'll, where I've spent my whole, you know, past 25 years walking down. And then one day, the sun will just hit it a certain way. I'll be looking and be like, wait, what is this old building? And what's that inscription on it? I mean, I'm now a big fan of not having, I mean, we're, just, we're at a podcast festival, I shouldn't say this, not having your headphones on um, sometimes when you walk through, down a street. Very off-brand. <laughs> But um, that's when these things kind of pop out at me. And so to research something like that, I mean, there's just a host of different ways. I mean, we, we are just blessed to live in the digital age. We couldn't do this show without, without it. And also that brings to mind the thousands of preservationists who have worked their butts off 
you know, to, to keep things preserved, to, to make sure that buildings did not get demolished. Um, and through neighborhood associations, preservation associations, they have also put plaques up all over the city. So when you do walk by a plaque and you have a little time on your hands, stop and read it. There are amazing yeah. things that are around that, that are just all over the city. Great. Next question, please. Hello. Hi. Hi. I am curious to know, by knowing so deeply New York City's history, do you feel as though, and this might benefit your listeners, you have an understanding of our present and potentially our future that you think is important for Are you us asking if I'm going to run for office? <laughs> <laughs> do you have a vision for I'd the Because I'd like future? to declare my... No, oh my goodness, no. All that stuff in the 90s is going to come back to haunt me. <laughs> All that praying you did at Limelight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that, again, almost back to our original objective of the show is that all of these stories are, I, th I mean, I think every single episode it reflects itself in some fashion into the New York City that we have now. And you see, th you can hear things that are like the mayor is making decisions about things that they made the same decisions about 100 years ago. And let's see how that turned out, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of, um, almost, it's almost sometimes unnerving, I think, to me. And also to understand a little bit better the obstacles that the city faces, you know, even through infrastructure or through zoning. You know, we did a show uh, recently called How High Can It Go about the skyline, and just understanding the zoning laws, you know, from 1960 and 61, and then subsequent ones, um, you know, those are laws that sculpted the city that we have today. And understanding that makes you understand why it looks the way it does. Understanding why, you know, that there were multiple subway companies um, in operation in the early 20th century makes you understand or at least have a little bit more of a relaxed attitude when you're trying to navigate the 34th Street, 6th Avenue subway station and you're oh, trying yeah. to make that transfer. You know, there's a reason um, that that's not an easy transfer. All right, thank next you. question. Yeah, thank All you. Right. Hi guys, I'm Austin for the Bronx. Um, I hey. love you guys' uh, use of language. You guys have a lot of fun uh, words that you use <laughs> frequently. Stuyvesant, Beaux-Arts style, Gilded Age. Um, through your research, what are some of your favorite words or funniest names you've uncovered under research? That's a good question, I like that. I want to know 10 years Well, ago. actually, um, wow. that reminds me, because you said um, Rutherford Stuyvesant, who built the first apartment building, um, because his name was originally uh, Stuyvesant Rutherford, and in order to get and like to get some inheritance, he literally had to switch his names because there was these two like wealthy clans, and one of them was like, "Well, you need to. We're not giving you all this money unless you switch it to Stuyvesant." So, right. I mean, we've actually butchered a lot of names on the shows too. I like to blame that on my um, recessive Ozark gene that sometimes <laughs> comes out and makes me twist some words around, kind of funny. And I just giggle every time he says Bozart. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like we're young again. No. <laughs> no. Next question, please. Hi. Um, number one, thank you for coming. Oh, so yeah. Nice thank to you. see you. Yeah. I woohooed for the Ozarks, so Missouri. <laughs> yes. Um, so the ghost stories, uh, your Halloween episodes are uh -huh. always the best episodes. Is there a ghost story you'd like to share or that you've rejected? Mm. Oh, well, I mean, I have to say... 
No. In fact, what I'm kind of afraid of is that we're kind of running out of ghost stories. We've told so many ghost stories. There have been a couple, like I said, we find them in old newspapers. Uh, sometimes, though, they're just, they're, they're just flat out. They're all kind of tragic, like I said, but um, a lot of the stories are just really grim. Like, oh, like an old brownstone's haunted with like dead babies that died from cholera, that kind of thing. I would like that's that, a downer. You can't put like you can't put fun music behind that and make it like, oh, that's so scary. Yeah. You could, you could. It's true. No, and then also, yeah, the, with the language that was employed in the penny press, you know, in the 1830s, 40s, 50s, they had so much fun that they, you know, we, like 170 years later, we could be missing context. They could maybe not even be telling a ghost story at all. They could just be getting cheeky with each other. So there have been times where we kind of like tried to dig in for something and found out that there's no there there. Mm. There's just no real story. So I'm yeah. also available for a seance. <gasps> <gasps> okay. Talk now to there's us. There's a connection. Get back to you. I think we have time for one, maybe two more questions. Please okay. go right ahead. Hi, Hello. Guys. I, I love you. Oh, oh so hey, we love you. you. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. Oh. I've been listening to you forever. Oh. Somehow I think I'm your mom. I got to work it out in my oh. mind. <laughs> but I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Um, well, Mom, can I borrow that jacket? It's fierce. I love it. <laughs> Anything for you, son. <laughs> anyway, I, I just wanted to say, like, my favorite, oh, the two favorite, the mm-hmm. one you did on, on um, Billie Holiday. Oh, that's my, that is my favorite solo that, I, that I've ever done. That was so good. I read everything about it. I followed all the links. I feel like I know her. <laughs> I perhaps am related to her, too. Now I'm not no. sure. But, <laughs> no, and, and then The Fire, I listen to that one all the time. Mm-hmm. But you said it was so bad till it caused the panic of 1837. Oh, yeah, right. Do that podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do some financial stuff about the. Because they used to have a lot of panics and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Panics so, every other yeah. year, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's yeah. it. That's <laughs> a good thing. Oh, thank, thank, thank you. Thank you, Mama. Great thank question. You. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. You. Do your own question. Uh, Greg and I uh, just wanted to give a couple thanks, a few shout outs here. First of all, to our wonderful moderator, Nat. Oh, Nat. Stop it. Nat. Stop thank it. You so okay, much. thank go, you, go, Nat. Stop it. Come okay, see his show. Come see his show. I mean, all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we also wanted to say a big thank you to a few other friends who are here. Tomah Kabu, the fabulous designer. Our art who director came up for with everything, yes. Our logo. Oh. And. Oh, right. We even, we did the whole thing. We uh, oh, talked about the book. Oh, we wrote a book, book, too. Yeah. <laughs> and Tomon designed the book, too. So thank you, Tomon. We'd like to thank uh, uh, Jeremy and Lee and everyone at the Podfest, and of course, everyone here at Bell House. It's, just, it's so surreal. I've been here like two dozen times seeing all variety of things, and so it's a, it's a humbling to be on the stage. Thank so you. So thank so you, much. everybody. And thank you thank all you for coming. Thank you so much for coming, everyone. This has absolutely been an honor. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, uh, Greg and Tom, can you guys join me on stage for a second, uh, real fast? Guys, give it up for uh, Greg and Tom. Come here. Come, come here. Come here. All, all will make sense shortly, I promise. They're just like, what are we already doing out here? 
So uh, before we begin today, um, as I just said, I want to welcome the uh, Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment to the Bell House. Uh, we do have some representatives uh, from the office with us today. Uh, the New York City PodFest partnered uh, with the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment for the first time this year. We're excited to have their help in celebrating all the awesome podcasts being produced in the city. Uh, Julie Menon is the commissioner of the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment, which is the agency that oversees all of the creative arts industries in New York, including film, TV, theater, music, publishing, digital media, and podcasting. Just so you know, those industries contribute nearly $91 billion to the city's economy and employs 130,000 New Yorkers. We would like to thank Commissioner Menon for her office's support for NYC PodFest this year. And uh, Commissioner Menon is actually here with us today, and she has a few words she would like to say before we begin. Stay up here. Don't, yeah, I promise I didn't bring you up here just to awkwardly stand here. Hello, and Jeremy, thank you so much for that incredibly gracious award. I'm delighted to be here. Again, I'm Julie Menon, Commissioner of the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment, and welcome to NYC PodFest. So we are so thrilled at the Mayor's Office um, with the fact that there are more than 200 podcasts being produced all over New York City. Um, and this is really, I think, an incredible milestone for us here in New York. Um, and we're especially proud of the diversity of voices uh, presented, including, and I know you saw our PSA before, but the New Yorker Radio Hour. We've got BuzzFeed's See Something, Say Something, Reply All. We have two dope queens. Um, but most importantly, we have the Bowery Boys. <laughs> today, and I know this is a surprise for all of you here today, but we want to thank the Bowery Boys. I know you're here to celebrate them, but for 10 years, Greg and Tom have truly been remaking what it means to tell New York City history. They've done 225 episodes. It's really amazing, and so in honor of that, we have a very special award from you. This is our Spotlight Award to really celebrate the best and brightest of New York City, and that's really what they represent. So on behalf... Thank you. Thank you so much. We're incredibly honored, and I will hand it back to you because you're grabbing it from me. Yeah. <laughs> do you, got, do you want, want to say something? Or you... No, we will say a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Again, I give it up for Commissioner Menon and uh, the Made in New York program, Office of Media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're going to properly. Okay, we'll be right back. I, and, and they were never seen again. Uh, yeah, never know uh, what's going to happen here at the podcast festival. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right. 
a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.